Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza, and today's episode, I want to welcome back Dr. Shauna Shapiro, who is a clinical psychologist and professor of psychology and mindfulness. She's written a number of books, one in particular everybody could use right now. It's called Good Morning, I Love You, Mindfulness and Self-Compassion Practices to Rewire Your Brain for Calm, Clarity, and Joy. I thought given what's going on in the world, we needed a revisit with Dr. Shauna Shapiro and check in about practices that do not take a lot of time that take into account that everybody is at their wits end and really on heightened stress and that we want our kids to know that we can take care of them because we have the ability to take care of ourselves. So we're going through some hands-on, I mean, doing them during this episode. So if you aren't driving, I recommend finding a spot where you can close your eyes and practice some of the very short exercises to help cultivate emotion regulation and support your kids' self-regulation at a time when that is very necessary and we're feeling a lot of burnout. What I really love about this episode is that we are going right into practical strategies and not really getting into the science other than to make sure that you trust that this is coming from scientists. And if mindfulness doesn't feel great, think of it as the science of metacognition, or think of it as learning how to create constructive emotions instead of destructive emotions, and making sure that we are available during this very difficult time to ourselves, to support each other, and to be there for our kids. And we're really tackling specific conversations to have with kids and specific ways of responding to the difficult experiences our kids might be having. But most importantly, I hope you'll take a little bit of time to have a moment of self-care for yourself and know that I am thinking of you. We are collectively thinking of each other right now and you're definitely not alone. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, rate. And if you have time, which I know is just a resource not super available, I would love for you to write a little review. 
At the end of this episode, I'm answering listener questions. What I want to talk to you about is what can we do as parents while experiencing potentially really big emotions to be authentic, but also, you know, honor those emotions and also make sure our kids see both in our physiology and in our words that we've got this, that we're actually grownups and we're not going to fall apart. And I'm imagining that you have some exercises and thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I agree. I mean, I think all of us feel the impact in our nervous systems and our minds and our hearts of what's happening in the world. And it's as if one stressor upon the next just keeps rolling in and our bodies and our minds don't have time to recover. And so the first thing I think is to acknowledge the level of stress and to make sure that we are taking time to downregulate the nervous system, to actually come back to a place of center and stasis and calm. And so the first thing that I'm working with parents on is, is really what are simple practices that you can do every single day to come back to center? And for me, the breath is the most important, that the breath is always with you. Whatever is happening in the middle of a crisis, there's your breath. And as soon as you start to, oh, that was good. There, I saw a deep breath. As soon as you start to take a deep breath, what happens is you activate the vagus nerve. And what the vagus nerve does is- <laughs> Look, it's happening. <laughs> she's deeply breathing, <laughs> is the vagus nerve puts us into our parasympathetic state of rejuvenation, restoration, and it kind of helps empty the cup. And so what people forget, you know, there's a famous Zen saying, which I love. It says, they said, master, how much should I meditate every day? And he said, 20 minutes. And the person said, oh, I don't have time. And he goes, then one hour. that when we really need it is when we forget to practice. And Mm -hmm. so now is the time to begin to practice. Could we do a short practice with you just as an, as a sample and also to get us ready to even be open to hearing the rest of this conversation? Mm, I love that you said that. So when I begin, I'm a professor at a university, and when I begin class, we always start with a meditation, and I call it preparing the mind for learning. Ah. That we kind of need to empty out space so that we can learn new material. And so if you're listening to this right now and you're like, yeah, they're right, it is really stressful, there's a lot going on, and oh my God, the election, and oh my God, the pandemic, we're not really preparing your mind. So let's take a moment to prepare the mind. You can begin by letting your eyes close, If you don't like to close your eyes, you can just look down at the floor and just take a moment to arrive in your body. And what I mean by this is just start to gather your attention back into yourself and you can wiggle your toes. That's always an easy way to feel the body, feel your feet, feel both legs, feel your seat, your tailbone, Feel your spine straight and upright and just go ahead and soften the shoulders. Let your awareness pour down both arms. And you may notice that your mind is wandering. It's what our minds do. It's okay. It's natural. 
gently bring the mind back. It's just like a little puppy dog. It wanders off. You say, stay. It wanders again. You say, come back. You don't judge it. It's natural. So feel the palms of your hands. Feel your belly and see if you can begin to feel the breath moving the belly. As you inhale, the belly rises and fills with the air. And as you exhale, you release, let go. So receiving the inhale, releasing the exhale, oxygenating the body with each in-breath, releasing, letting go of stress and tension with each out-breath. The body knows how to take care of you. The breath knows what to do. You don't have to try. Just let yourself breathe. When you exhale, you're exhaling carbon dioxide, stress. When you inhale, you're receiving the nourishment, the oxygen. And continuing up through the torso to the chest, and I just want to invite you to put your hand on your heart. And first, just notice what it feels like. This is a gesture of self-care. And begin to feel the heart, begin to feel the heartbeat. Don't worry if you can't feel it. Sometimes people's hearts are located a little differently physically, but it's definitely beating. Mm. And what's happening is the heart is sending oxygen and nutrients to every cell in your body. The heart is taking care of you right now. Can you receive that nourishment? And then continuing up into the throat, up into your face, soften your jaw, release any tension, soften the eyes, the forehead, the temples, the whole face. You can tilt your chin down a millimeter and let the back of the neck lengthen. Feel the sides, top of the head. And just get a sense of the whole body resting. Notice how you're feeling. After just a couple minutes of practice. And bringing this open, kind, curious attention with you as you let some light back in through the eyes. You can go ahead and just stretch your arms above your head. Good. Personalized skincare sounds high-end, but with Rory, you can have a brand new skincare routine crafted just for you without ever leaving the comfort of your couch. Rory is a digital health clinic just for women that can help treat all of your skincare concerns from breakouts to redness. Getting started is simple. You just complete an online consultation at hellorory.com slash humans. And you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed healthcare professional within 24 hours. And if it's appropriate, they'll prescribe a personalized skincare treatment plan that works just for you with free two-day shipping. And Rory is there the whole time. So you can access your healthcare professionals for questions, to maintain what you're doing or to check in or to make changes for your treatment plan. And there's no commitment. So you can just cancel anytime. 
Just go to hello Rory, H-E-L-L-O-R-O-R-Y.com slash humans to try out your personalized treatment for just $5. That's hello Rory dot com slash humans for a free consultation and $5 for your first order. Hello, Rory.com slash humans to get your first order for $5. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Cott. And I'm Stephanie Sambari. And we are the hosts of That's So Retrograde. Part of us? For the past 200 and some episodes, we've been trying to figure out what the hell wellness is. We have inspiring and fun conversations with all types of amazing people, from healers to comedians to whatever's in between. We're five years in, but we're just getting started. So hop on board every Thursday to join the party and route to living your best life. And don't forget your cannabis. Or to check us out on Instagram at So Retrograde. That's right. Bye. See you there. Okay. Now we're ready to start. <laughs> now we're ready to start. And that was just a couple of minutes. So I'm open. I'm ready. Can a couple of minutes a day do anything? Absolutely. In fact, change happens in a moment, right? We all of a sudden have an aha moment or an insight. And it also happens over time. And so there's this kind of interesting paradox or juxtaposition that you don't want to limit what change can happen because I've seen huge change happen in a moment. And you also don't want to underestimate the power of subtle changes over time. And that's why my theme is what you practice grows stronger. That Mm -hmm. really the only thing you have control over is setting your intention setting your compass for the direction you want to head. And then over and over as best you can, not perfectly every day, practice, Mm -hmm. practice taking a deep breath today. And again, tomorrow practice counting to three before you snap at your child, practice putting your hand on your heart and offering yourself kindness once a day. (sighs) I love those because it's so manageable. And right now, if we can take those small moments, it's incredible. If you just, yeah, find those moments of breath, how different your interaction can be with your family. Absolutely. And also the body, like what I've noticed recently, because as I said, we have four kids and a dog and there's a lot of chaos going on is really softening my body. Because what I notice is sometimes I'll be in the kitchen and I'm like braced for war, you know, like, <laughs> I'm like tight and my shoulders are up here and like my butt's clenched. And, like I'm just, and so I just start to soften, right. And just, just letting the body settle. And I feel my feet and I truly do wiggle my toes because that I'm like, oh yeah, there, there we go. And so I think it's really about remembering. And so how do we remember is we practice and eventually it becomes a habit. I remember growing up whenever my dad would get angry and we would all know when he got angry, like you could feel it. He would close his eyes and he would take a deep breath with his hand like this. Wow. And I thought that was normal. I thought that's what you did. That's what parents do when they get angry. And it would always calm him down. Not that he would be super happy afterwards, but that was his automatic habit when instead of yelling at you, that's what he would do. And what I realized from that is it wasn't that my dad didn't get angry. It wasn't that he was perfect. He got angry, 
but that was his go-to practice. And so if we can start to implement these practices in our life, it's like, when I get angry, I put my hands behind my back Mm -hmm. and I hop on one foot. I don't really care what it is. Yes. Start to interrupt your pattern and interrupt these super highways of habit so that we can start to carve out new pathways. Mm -hmm. And what you just described with your father sounds like it was constructive. He wasn't not getting angry because sometimes you do need to get angry to meet whatever your emotional goal is. That is self-regulation. It's just, it's intentional. And so that breath made his anger intentional. And I imagine sometimes when he took the breath, he was like, actually, I'm not that, that anger is not where I want to go. I don't know. I don't know his experience, but having that moment. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about making those emotions constructive instead of just pretending they're not there. Exactly. So what this does is it allows us to have the full spectrum of emotion. It's not saying push, those are bad, never have those. It's saying being human, you're going to have the full spectrum, but you need to know how to wisely relate to and regulate your emotions. And so when anger comes up, what mindfulness does is it puts you back in choice. It doesn't say that you're not going to still be angry, but you're back in choice. So you can use the anger wisely instead of reactively and causing more more harm. And I think that's really the key to, to mindful regulation of emotion is we welcome all of our emotions. We see them clearly and then we respond with wisdom. So I want to think about metacognition, which I think is, but because I want to take advantage of the fact that you're a psychologist and a mindfulness expert and merge those two. There's sort of different ways of looking at the same thing. How can thinking about your thoughts support your emotion regulation? Right. So metacognition, I believe, is kind of one of the superpowers of mindfulness because what mindfulness Great. does, right, it, it's, it might, the word mindfulness means to see clearly. And what it does is it kind of gives you that, 30,000 foot perspective on your thoughts. And so think about this, no pun intended, but you have the thought, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. How that makes you feel, I'm not good enough. Then if you realize I'm having the thought, I'm not good enough, you don't feel as bad. You're just like, oh, I'm having that thought, but I don't believe it. So I think one of the keys to mindfulness is it helps you recognize that your thoughts are not true. They're not even real. They're just kind of these bubbles that come up, they rise and they pass in our mind. And mindfulness helps us see them more clearly. Mindfulness also helps us regulate our emotions because just in the same way, we see our emotions rise and pass. You know, emotions only last 30 to 90 seconds. And so if we can experience the wave rise and then pass away, we don't get so lost in it. We're able to, with that meta awareness, we're able to see it and respond to it. So if you want to practice strengthening your metacognition, yes, are there exercises you can do? I know one thing that um, I can't remember the researcher's name, but basically one practice to exercise it was attention awareness and mm-hmm. attention strengthening. And I'm wondering, you know, are these things and, and something that you can share with us now will probably be better, but um, is there something, yeah. is there a practice that you can do to stretch that muscle? Absolutely. So first of all, any muscle can be stretched. 
But to develop metacognitive awareness, one of the best ways to do it is to simply name your emotion or name your thought. So in one study that they did at UCLA, it's called Name It to Tame It. Mm -hmm. And what they found is when people named their emotion, it set off this whole system of downregulation. And so what the key is, is when you're feeling, let's say, angry, you know, a lot of us try to push it away. We try to deal with it. We, we judge ourselves or we release it. What you want to do instead is just notice I'm angry, right? And just say, I'm angry. I'm noticing anger. or I'm noticing sadness. Just by naming it, you start to shift the emotion. The second thing that I find really helpful, so I'll name whatever I'm feeling. And oftentimes I do it out loud, which, you know, you see lots of eye rolls in the kids. <laughs> I'm angry is to bring compassion to myself sweetheart, you're going through a hard moment right now. This is hard. And just that pause, instead of automatically trying to fix or react or control or suppress, it's like, Ooh, this is painful. This is not how I want to feel right now. And those two steps combined together, I call them the one, two punch. I need to come up with a better name, <laughs> um, but they really help me throughout the day. And then if I have more space, the third step, which I find quite powerful, and usually I'll do when I'm more alone is so first I name it, right? I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. Probably true. Yeah. Second, I'll, I'll bring some kindness. This is hard. And then third, I'll think of, you know, maybe all the other mothers right now who are dealing with so much chaos mm -hmm. and trying to juggle home and work and homeschooling. And, and I'll realize I'm not alone because so often we isolate in our pain. We think I'm the only one who's scared. I'm the only one who snaps at my kids. I'm the only one who doesn't know, but we're not. This suffering is part of our common humanity. It's part of what it means to be human. And so I'll think of everyone else suffering and I'll just send them compassion. You know, may you be peaceful. May I be peaceful. And there's this sense of community where I'm not alone in my suffering. And it really brings a lot of comfort. This episode is brought to you by FX Chocolate. FX Chocolate is a new supplement company that welcomes you to a world where health doesn't have to be a hard pill to swallow, literally. FX Chocolates make powerful nutraceuticals like reishi, ashwagandha, CBD, and phytonutrients and delivers them to you in a delicious square of sugar-free, keto-friendly dark chocolate. Chocolate is a delicious and effective way to take your vitamins and supplements. The lipids or healthy fats in chocolate help your cells more readily absorb the nutrients you ingest, making it an amazing delivery system. Good for you does not have to be hard to do. FX Chocolate is offering my listeners 20% off their first order. You use the promo code HUMANS at checkout. To redeem, visit fxchocolate.com. Dot com and use promo code HUMANS at checkout. How can we get comfortable with uncertainty because it is life and also it is not going anywhere? Right. So I'm not sure that you're ever going to get completely comfortable with uncertainty. I think part of uncertainty is discomfort. So I think it's getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. Okay. And 
not thinking that your discomfort means something's wrong with you. It's just what's happening. And so one of my favorite equations in the world, I'm not a big mathematician, but one of my favorite equations is suffering equals pain times resistance. So S equals P times R. And from the mindfulness lens, um, pain is part of life. It is, you can't escape it, right? Mm. Pain is that we're all going to get sick and we're all going to grow old and we're all going to die. And so are the people we love, right? <laughs> it's just the truth. Yeah. But suffering is optional. And suffering has to do with how much do I resist the pain? How much do I say, no, this can't be happening. And what did I do? And what could I do? But it's, it's just acknowledging this is what's true. I do not want this to be happening right now. I do not want this to be happening right now, but it's already happening. So my only choice is how do I relate to it? And so learning how to relate to the uncertainty with kindness, with compassion, with curiosity, with like, huh, how does it feel to kind of approach life in this new way? I think really opens us up to possibility because certainty equals zero possibility, right? Mm. That's a mathematical equation. You know, two plus two equals four. It has to equal four. Certainty equals zero possibility. There's only one answer. Mm. Uncertainty equals infinite possibilities. And in my own life, it's been extraordinary to embrace the uncertainty in that way and to see the magical and unexpected things that have happened because of this, things that I could have never in my wildest dreams imagined. And so what I would invite is as best we can to approach the uncertainty with the sense of wonder and curiosity. And one of the practices that I've been doing a lot lately is I wake up in the morning and I say, I wonder what surprising and magical thing is going to happen today. And that way I'm priming my brain to look for the good and the beautiful instead of constantly scanning the environment for the dangerous and what's wrong. I'm going to know, I'm going to hear yeah, it. It's, it's definitely there. out there. <laughs> so why not start to orient my mind towards what is good? And if you're suffering, you're really suffering right now, you're in pain and resisting it. How, and, and it's very real. So absolutely. So, so much as, and for everybody, it's in different, you know, the scope is different. Is there ever a place where suffering, where the pain is just too hard that mindfulness can't, or like how you approach things is just, you'll, you'll reject it automatically because you can't find anything good. Or is there research on, I know there is, um, there is research on mindfulness work. And I, I don't just want to call it mindfulness because I feel like you people shut down, but it really is science that even in the depths of darkness or even in the depths of despair, that there is space to find that wonder in the day, that there is space to find some joy. And we've seen it in terrible mm -hmm. events and terrible moments in life. And so I wonder for now, what is possible for a person who's listening to this, who's thinking, I just don't have it in me to yeah. take this time. So the first step, again, is to name that sense of despair or hopelessness or exhaustion. 
And then the second step is to bring kindness right there to yourself, sweetheart. This is so hard. And I'm not in any way suggesting that these times aren't hard. What I'm suggesting is there is possibility within the challenge. And I remember, you know, one of the stories from Viktor Frankl, who's one of my heroes, saying that even in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany, that he was able to witness human kindness and that we really only have choice over our attitude. We don't have choice over what's happening and that it was in this choice that lies our, our human freedom and evolution. And it really has stuck with me that those are the darkest, most horrible times you could ever imagine. And still he was able to watch someone share their bread and feel joy in that kindness. And so that's the kind of thing I'm talking about is to stay open to that, that beauty and that wonder of the human heart. These are such beautiful ways to remember how much we're capable of and to share that with our kids so that because they're living this experience not as I mean this is just what they're this they're kids of the pandemic so um, to be able to be in this experience and wake up with these exercises or ways of thinking could be so beneficial because they're getting wired right now we're getting rewired but they're Mm -hmm. getting wired and that really excites me and, and I think what I love is that you said these practices. It's not like there's one practice. So when your child is afraid and overwhelmed, you model this practice of naming it and bringing compassion. We don't push it away. We don't say, be happy all the time. Look for the miraculous. Yeah. <laughs> we open to the pain. And we also help carve out pathways to include joy. I think right now, especially... I mean, our children need joy. They need it to survive. They need it to thrive. And that when we are in this kind of closed, chronic state of stress, we are not open to seeing the beauty. The sun is still setting every single day. It is still setting every single day. And we're missing these moments. And so the magic of mindfulness for me is that it helps you cope with the stress and has really science-based effective practices for that. And it helps magnify life's inherent joy. Mm. Okay. So let's say, I want to expand something that you just said that's so important. A child is so upset. That's not when you want to say, but look at the bright side, because that would really not honor their feeling. And one thing that we want for our kids is that they don't look at sadness as a bad thing, as a feeling to get rid of. And so tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So this is so important. It's skillful means is what it's called. You need to know which practice is most effective for which moment. And as a clinical psychologist, this is what I'm always looking for. How do I attune to and empathize where someone is? And so when someone is suffering, that is not the time to be like, well, wait, what are you grateful for? Tell me the positive things, you know, think good thoughts. That's... (laughs) That's first of all, it'll be almost impossible for them to do it. But second of all, that's not honoring where they are. So mindfulness, the key to mindfulness is to honor where someone is by seeing it clearly, reflecting back. This is hard. You're suffering right now. And then to bring kindness to it. But the reflection back is also kind of an inquiry to like feel like, what does it feel like? 
when you're in pain. You know, often I'll say to people, what are you noticing as we talk about this? Because when you say, what does it feel like? It, it's a little bit, puts them on the spot a little bit. Like, Ooh, I don't know. What does it feel like? But when you say, what are you noticing? They'll be like, Ooh, my, my throat is really tight. Or I'm noticing the burning, the stinging and tears coming down my face or the tightness in my chest. And we start to give the emotion a voice. So far from suppressing it, mindfulness helps give it space to then heal. I feel so bubble. I always, when I talk to you, have a little bit of a, but like, I just get that, that bubble in my chest and I'm welling up and no. I don't, I don't know if it's because I haven't honored things that I felt sad about, or if it's just so beautiful to me to be able to not look at a feeling like that as anything, but a feeling like that, the idea to raise children who can just notice that and then yeah about go along yeah it's so it's a gift after i had kids my hair got much thinner so i'm pretty sure i'm not alone and drier and also just life <laughs> and because of this opportunity to have gemis sponsor the podcast, I got to try it out and it's awesome. So Gemis makes salon quality science-backed hair care. And you basically sign up and fill out a very quick survey. And from that survey, they tell you what you're going to need to have the best hair care for your type of hair texture and whatever your concerns are. So that's pretty awesome. And need to mention a few other things. First of all, it's woman owned, which means I'm super excited to promote this brand. And there are quality ingredients that are sulfate free, paraben free, dye free. They've never been tested on animals. They're manufactured in the US. It's easy. It ships door to door within two days and it smells good. Plus you can save 20% on every order with Smart Subscribe and get free shipping and also not think about it. It'll just come and you won't be out of shampoo and conditioner. They choose based on your hair length and washing frequency. So the subscription can be completely personalized by week. Some people go through shampoo more than others. Anyway, the point is a flexible subscription is key and it's easy. It's also easy to skip shipments if you're going out of town, for example. If you're ready to have awesome hair, try Gemist. Right now, my listeners can give Gemist a try and get 20% off their shampoo and conditioner. Just visit Gemist.com, G-E-M-M-I-S-T.com to get your personalized recommendation and enter humans at checkout for 20% off and free two-day shipping. That is Gemist.com, G-E-M-M-I-S-T, Com and enter the code HUMANS at checkout to get the best hair ever. Thank you for sharing that person. So beautiful. Do you see how you just named the emotion welling up? You named them bubbling up and the, the tears and the, that, that sense of generosity to our own experience. It's like, oh, welcome. Oh, there's a sweetness. Now I just got chills because now I'm feeling your, you know, that that sense of connection and intimacy 
is what mindfulness allows. You know, it says, I care. And you're saying it to yourself. You're like, oh, sweetheart, what, you know, what sadnesses have you been stuffing because you're trying to be the good mom and take care of and give it space. And what's amazing is it kind of rises up like bubbles or I I call them little champagne bubbles (laughs) and it passes. And then all of a sudden you are so much more resourced to take care of your children. Yes. And to be able to, because I remember that feeling is such a clear feeling in my, by the way, in my head, after that happened, I was like, I'll be cutting that moment out. But I think I'm going to share that moment (laughs) because I am a real neck up person. And I think a lot about things, but I don't, you know, I've, I've spent years trying to actually feel them in my body. And I now remember so clearly as a child, that feeling of going from like my lower chest all the way up and bubbling into my throat. And that if I spoke when I was getting that feeling that I would just, tears would come out. And so I would just close my mouth and stop breathing because I didn't want that to happen. And it's so, um, it's so freeing to just let it happen. And I just watched and I teared up and now here I am like completely steady. So it's not nothing like the world did not shatter. And if we talk to kids that way about where the feelings are, it's just so like, what are you feeling in your body? It just changes how we even recognize what's going on for us. Right. And it's, it's valuing and honoring the emotions. It's like, tell me about your anger. I want to know, like, where are you feeling that? What's happening? And then they're like, oh, anger is not scary. It's just some energy that rises and passes. In fact, my little nephew, I remember he, he had a real temper when he was little <laughs> and we would have him say, I'm angry. And he'd have to stamp his foot. So anytime he was getting mad, we actually said, you have to put your fist together and stamp your foot and say, I'm right. angry. And just naming it and kind of giving space for the anger would immediately calm him down. And that's what people don't realize is they're so afraid of their emotions. They, they're so afraid of being totally overwhelmed by them, but they rise and pass. So you say, oh, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm anxious. Create space for the anxiety. Let's see how big it gets. The key, though, is not to feed it with your thoughts. So there you, you go. Start, now, yeah. If you start feeding it with your thoughts, it's going to get big. So emotions last 30 to 90 seconds if you just let them be. If you just feel them in your body, they're a wave, they rise and pass. But if you start telling the story, he did this, he wronged me, you know, they're going to keep going, right? It's like fuel to the fire. So the key to mindfulness practice is teaching people how to stay with this sensation in their body, just like you did. You noticed it, it rose up, and then it passed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how do you really do that where you can (laughs) feel those feelings and you want your kids to just do it, get, get in there? And then how can you have open curiosity and also not promote ruminating? Yeah, great. Great question. And I just love the way you're like, okay, but I want like the magic bullet now. Thank <laughs> you very much. Like, let's drop this up and package it. <laughs> so, so it is a balance and rumination often happens outside of our awareness. It's like mm. a habitual kind of spiral we get in. Mm-hmm. Curiosity is in the present moment. Rumination doesn't say, oh, what do you notice when you feel sad? Rumination is like, 
you're feeling sad again. You always feel sad. Why do you feel sad? It's because of your parents, your parents, your good, you're whooping, whooping. Yeah. Curiosity is like, oh, sadness. And then it's like, oh, I feel sadness and it tightens in my throat. And I'm worried it's going to come out into tears. And I, you get curious and there's no story going on. It's just curiosity and embodiment. And so they're actually quite different tracks. They're different pathways in the brain. And you can actually see different areas of the brain light up when you're being present and curious and having that meta awareness versus when you're locked into a kind of self-referential narration. And they look different and they feel different. Let's say your teenager's chatting with you and they've gone through all of these things, but they want to keep on going. And they just have so much they want to say about this upsetting event or their feelings, their big feelings. And they have such big feelings right now. What is a gentle and (laughs) what's a gentle way to wrap that up, table it for tomorrow, because we know it's coming back, but still have given it time? Yeah, so that's a great question. I don't have a perfect answer for it because I think it's going to be a dynamic between the child and the parent and what they're used to. I think letting people express a little bit is very important. And when they're doing that, what I do, and as a clinician, this is what I do, is I try to reflect back Mm. the key things they're saying. So they're like, I, you know, when I'm training my students to become therapists, I, I call it kind of like they vomit on you. It's right, they, right. They go. And so you have to listen for what are, what are the actually important things? So you're feeling really angry at your teacher or you feel scared about this exam. You kind of highlight the key points, reflect back their emotions, mm-hmm. right? Don't get caught in story. Don't say, well, why did she do that to you? Don't, don't feed it. Try mm-hmm. to reflect back those, the, the key things in their body. And as you keep reflecting, you're going to get them closer and closer. So what I say to people is you're, you're panning for gold and you're cleaning out all the dirt and debris that they're vomiting on you. Mm-hmm. And then you hand them back this gold nugget. And you're like, you're really mad right now. You know, and it just stops them. In their right. And they're like, yeah, I'm mad. And you slow them down. The other thing that I do is I start to slow my breath down. I start to calm my body down instead of getting riled up, which is contagious. I've learned to kind of downregulate myself and then they start calming down. Because you're co-regulating. Exactly. Now, when you're a parent, I mean, I'll tell you, it's hard when I'm working with a client, when I'm working with our own children, when I'm not working, yeah, it's really yeah. hard and you get totally caught in it too. So I think, again, the key for us as parents is to take care of ourselves, to resource ourselves so that we have that strength and that sovereignty to then help our children. Love. I love also the important, you know, it's so important not to feed it and get into the gossip of it or the, yes. you know, the horror of it or whatever they're saying and just reflect back that I like that image of, you know, panning for gold because so often we end up getting like in there with them and that's not the empathy. Right. But it just, it, it can grow it bigger So I like really emphasizing, and that also brings us back to listening with curiosity more than just kind of joining. Exactly. One last thing I want to share that's really important because you mentioned empathy. And as a parent, we empathize with our kids. Like we feel our mirror neurons are so 
tuned into theirs. You know, you see your child suffering and you're like, you know, <laughs> your yeah. child doesn't get invited to the birthday party and you're like, I'm going to kill them. You know, yes. you, you feel the pain. So one of the things I've been studying recently that I think is so important is the difference between empathy and compassion. Mm. So when we empathize, the pain centers of our brain light up. So I see my kid skin as me, my pain centers light up in my brain. Mm. Now think about if that's happening over and over again, you as a parent are going to get burnt out. Right. Which, and it is right. Mm -hmm. Right. This is kind of what's happening right now. We're seeing our kids suffering and we're in pain. What new research shows, this was out of um, Tanya Singer's lab in, in Europe, is that when you feel compassion for someone, your reward centers, your pleasure centers light up. So empathy, your pain centers light up. Compassion, your reward centers light up. And what compassion means is you feel the empathy, but then empathy is like a gateway to compassion. You know they're suffering and yes. then you feel your love for them. And you're like, how can I help? And when you come from the sense of love instead of fear, it activates the reward centers. And so when I'm working with people, what we'll do is we'll feel the pain of, of you know, they'll empathize with what's happening with their child. And then they'll go one step deeper. Well, why, why does this hurt me? Oh, because I care. Because I love that little person. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you get into the love, you're, you're, you're in this protective place and you won't burn out. And so I think people need to learn how to shift from empathy into compassion. Oh, I love that. Let's take advantage of this wonderful moment that I have you here and that we can hear from you. Can you walk us through a whole experience kind of getting us through what we're just talking about so that we can be compassionate? Yeah. So I'm going to take you through one last practice. And what I want you to do is, again, close your eyes if you can. It's totally okay if you don't want to close your eyes. And I'm going to take you through the three steps that I spoke about earlier. The first step is simply to name or notice how you're feeling. So right now in this moment, you might notice how you're feeling. Hopefully you're feeling kind of good because you've been listening to this. (laughs) If you just kind of sense over the last weeks and months of there's been a lot of uncertainty, a lot of stress, a lot of pain. I think for me as a mother, one of the greatest things I felt is this sense of wanting to make the right choice or do the right thing because there's so many decisions that keep coming up and this fear that I'm not doing it right. So a lot of kind of self-doubt is for me. But whatever it's been for you, it could be fear, it could be overwhelm, it could just be exhaustion. So I want you just to name some of the feelings you've been having. And I want you just to create some space in the body. And this part of it isn't as fun, right? This is we're naming, we're, we're inviting and we're welcoming. Welcoming. The difficulty, the suffering, the pain, it's here. And then I want you as your second step is to bring compassion to it. So hand on heart and really just silently saying, sweetheart, this has been hard. This has been hard. And offer yourself compassion. And if that feels a little awkward, just do 5%. Just 5% more kindness toward yourself. You're planting the seed. You're carving out this neural pathway. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's practice. 
And then the third step is I want you to imagine all the other parents who are listening right now who are probably feeling some similar things to you. Overwhelmed, exhausted, confused, doubting themselves. And just begin to send compassion outward. Sending this sense of faith in them or relief or trust or just kindness. Just, yeah, this is hard. So you're sending the compassion out with each exhale, just sending it out. And with each inhale, I want you to breathe it in because right now you're being bathed in it. Right now, everyone who's listening is sending it. So that we start to recognize we're part of this shared humanity. We're not alone doing this. And there's a sense of belonging instead of isolation. You're part of this web of life from which you can never fall. Can you be on your own team? Can you be your own ally? Just like you would for a dear friend. I've got you. I'm here. I may not always know the right thing to do, but I'm here. So feel your breath. Feel your body. Trusting your good heart. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening to this. This pure innocent intention to be the best parent you can be. And so taking one more breath in and out. Just offering a moment of gratitude for yourself, for each person participating with us in the shared awareness. Really offering that these practices be of benefit, that we're never just practicing for ourselves. We're always practicing for each other, that everything we do has echoes in the universe. So when you're ready, you can slowly let some light come back in through the eyes. One more time, you can stretch your arms. People always ask me if there's research behind the arm stretching, and I say, no, it just feels really good. (laughs) Good. Here are listener questions. The first question is, hi, Dr. Aliza. I love your podcasts. Thank you very much. I have a question. I have two boys, age five and nine, very different personalities. And I find it difficult to teach my nine-year-old to show gratitude. I have to constantly prompt him to, to say please and thank you. I do it in a discreet way. And then he says it, but he doesn't remember to say it on his own. And despite the fact that his dad and I are always mannerly in front of him, his younger brother is better at saying please and thank you, but has started to stop saying it because he's copying his brother and saying, my brother doesn't say it. Any thoughts? Thank you for your question. The reason I chose this question is because a lot of parents get worried about please and thank you, which is about being polite. It's not really about real gratitude or deep gratitude, but it is an important habit. The best way to promote please and thank you is exactly as you said, to do it in your own lives and not just with other people, but actually with your partner or your co-parent. So those moments when, you know, especially in the last eight months when everybody's been together so much, you can have so such a shorthand, not take the time to say, please pass the salt. But those are the important times because it shows habits that your kids are watching as closely as possible. 
So that's the first thing. And the second thing is kids take different times to get into those habits and your younger child may just be better at it. If they're looking at your older child and that person has not developed that skill and they're asking you why they have to do it, you can say, we all have to do it because it's a way to help other people understand that we feel thankful for what they did for us. And it's a way for other people, when we say please, to understand that though we're asking, we want them to know that we're thinking of them and that we're polite. You can also say, you tell me why I say please and thank you or why your other parent says please or thank you and help them come up with it so that they're more motivated. Because when you think of a reason on your own for doing something, you're much more likely to do it than because you were told to. And then you can even ask your younger child, does it feel different when you say please and thank you versus when you don't? And is the response from other people different? Can you notice that? I wonder if you see a difference in how I listen when you say please or thank you and draw that attention to it. And for your older child, feeling gratitude is a separate thing, but that habit of please and thank you, you can keep on practicing and know that nine is still really young and it takes people a whole long time, sometimes a whole lifetime to get really good at that practice, but it's getting in there, your voice is in there as long as it's not a nagging voice and it's a support voice, like here's my expectation, it's that you say please and thank you and I'm just supporting you over here in case you forget versus why can't you ever remember? Because when you get on someone's case, it's not gonna work. And the last thing is that motivation that comes internally makes these habits grow much faster. So the practice makes it grow stronger, as Shauna Shapiro said. So it's really important to practice every day. But if your nine-year-old isn't motivated, it's a great opportunity to have a conversation about, why do you think it's so tough for you to forget that? I wonder if it's because it's not important to you and it's just something I've told you to do. And then hear what your nine-year-old has to say and maybe offer some suggestions and ask for some suggestions about what would make it more meaningful. And then when you do catch him, saying please and thank you, reinforce it by saying, I really loved how that felt. Thank you. Thank you for saying please and thank you. Because you want to catch your child doing the thing that you're asking of them so they know that you noticed. Because even though they're not internally motivated by your noticing, they will be motivated because they do want you to see the progress they're making. Hi, Dr. Aliza. I love your podcast and your Instagram posts. Thank you very much. I have a question about my three-year-old. He hits and he throws toys and I know I'm not supposed to say no, but I don't know what to do when he's hurting his brother. Okay, so here's why I chose this question. It's not that you're not supposed to say no, but the thing about the no is that when you say no all the time, which is something that we could all end up doing especially with young children who are kind of all over the place and just learning the roadmap to being a good citizen, it's not going to teach them. It's not going to be effective. It's not about, it's a bad word, no. It's just not an effective way of teaching. Having said that, 
there are moments when no is appropriate. And the reason it's appropriate is because there's something that's dangerous and it needs to be stopped immediately. There's no time for compassion. There's no time for mirroring feelings. There's no time for labeling. It's just somebody's going to be injured and it needs to stop. And if you haven't said no other times, when you say it, it's very meaningful. So you can say, no, I can't and I won't let you bite your brother because it will be taken seriously because it's not something you do. Now, there is a thing where younger kids might giggle when they first see you do that. And it's just because it's so unfamiliar and it can be scary. And sometimes we laugh when we just are uncomfortable, but just stay calm and stern and make sure that the other sibling is safe and you'll have to separate their bodies. There's one other thing about no, which is there are times when it is better to redirect because you're not really saying no. What what you mean is here's what I do accept. Here's what's acceptable behavior. And when you say no, a child doesn't learn what acceptable behavior is. They just are like, okay, well, I'll try this. So no, you can't throw it on the floor. Fine. I could throw it on the wall. Oh no, you can't throw it on the wall. Okay, then I can throw it on the ceiling. Nope, that's not okay either. So the no isn't effective and it's just gonna drive you crazy. That's when you wanna do what's called a positive opposite where you tell your child what to do, what you are looking for. That's much, much more effective. And frankly, we all would rather hear what you want us to do. It sets much more clear boundaries and directions than what you don't want us to do. But it's absolutely okay. I think it's been a misunderstanding that no is, it's not a bad word. It's just meant to be reserved for those moments when there is no alternative. Thank you for listening. And I know this week is going to be incredibly fraught. So I am sending all of my warmth and love out there and hope you're all doing okay. 